This is Sleep On It. In this first series, we explore sleep and how it impacts those with ADHD. Here is the driving force behind the Sleep Charity, founder and CEO Vicky Beavers, who takes us on a powerful journey through her own story on sleep deprivation and ADHD diagnosis to founding the charity. She also highlights the spectrum and individuality of ADHD and the variety of strategies that can be implemented to improve sleep. With me now is Vicky Beavers, the CEO of the Sleep Charity. Hello, how are you? How did you sleep last night? Oh, <laughs> yeah, not so well because oh, no. I know this is like confession time. Oh, Mark. go on then. Yeah, no one's listening. Go on. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, not too well because I was in a hotel. Ah, uh, yes, of course. And, yeah, change of environment and all that going on. Yeah. So yeah, not too well. You didn't sleep well. So you're the brains behind this. You're you're why we're here today, isn't it? And and, and you've been instrumental in this podcast series and an ADHD and sleep charity project. But going back to the start, your journey and your kind of relationship with sleep has been quite an interesting one, hasn't it? Oh, you could say that, yeah. So talk us through that. Shall we start right at yeah, the beginning? Yeah, go at beginning. the beginning. You, yeah, okay. day one you were born. Move on from there. Okay, so um, according to my mum, the reason that I'm an only child is because I never slept. Oh, oh. my goodness. And so it's such a horrendous experience for her. <laughs> That she yeah. had not really apparently wow. so. I prefer to say that it's because they created perfection, perfection. first time Why around. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, but she disagrees. Oh dear. <laughs> um, so apparently, I was the child that never slept, and it led Mum down a bit of a dark path, as we know sleep deprivation does. And she decided to take me dancing, mm. um, and she took me dancing pretty much every night for hour upon hour. And I still didn't sleep, but I did dance in the England team. I became very good at dancing. Really? What, yeah. so you danced for England? Yeah. Oh, how I tremendous. Did. Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, I still didn't sleep. Um, so it didn't bother me at all. Mm. I was perfectly happy not sleeping. I do remember when breakfast TV started and I was so excited because I was up at that time anyway. Um, and I was only probably eight, nine mm. at the time, but it gave me something to do from six o'clock in the morning, so that was good. Mm. And I remember staying up for hour upon hour reading books and just finding night times not difficult, but lonely, I guess, because I just didn't feel like I needed to go to sleep as much mm. as other children. And was it that the World Health Organization always say, you know, seven to eight or nine hours for an adult, and there's always this sort of belief that you have, you've got to get a certain number of hours sleep what depending on your age but the reality is that it's down to what's right for you isn't it and did did you feel as a child that you were getting enough sleep or were you constantly tired because you weren't sleeping enough or, or was it just that you, for you you just didn't need that much sleep yeah I don't remember being tired I remember mum and dad being tired <laughs> <laughs> probably grouchy as well yeah yeah but I don't remember being tired mm. I remember being full of energy and even now I don't need a great deal of sleep. And I think in my adult life, sometimes that's caused me some concern because you do read like the guidelines mm. and 
then you become more anxious about trying to get that amount of sleep. But actually, you can't force sleep. Mm. And this is one of the things that I sort of share with people in my work, that if I said to you, if you fall asleep by 10 o'clock tonight, I'll give you a million pounds. Mm. You can't control it. But we mm. try to control sleep and that causes anxiety and then it can prevent us from falling asleep. So for me, it's been around accepting the amount that I need, thinking about how do I feel the next day? How do I function? Um, and being okay with that. You know, it's about how I feel mm. um, is is the key thing, and checking for those signs of sleep deprivation, but not trying to force it because you just can't. You just gonna that's that's right. You can't. Yeah. And and you've also had an ADHD diagnosis, haven't you, as well? Mm -hmm. for, how does that come about? Is that something you've sort of had a suspicion <laughs> about for a while? Um, I don't think I did, to be honest. So it was a bit of a shock. I've got a son who has Tourette syndrome, and possibly ADHD, and I was invited to speak at the ADHD Foundation Conference a few years ago now because we'd published some research around mm. sleep and children with ADHD. And I was invited to a dinner and I remember sitting next to a guest and he asked about my relationship with ADHD and I explained about my son and his comment was, I wonder where he got that from. And I can remember looking at him and thinking, does he mean me? Mm. And then thinking, well, how rude. <laughs> And then I went through the conference and started to listen to the speakers and I identified so many features that, yeah, were me, obviously. Um, and I met um, a psychiatrist there who diagnosed people and I had a chat with her. Um, she'd known me over a couple of days and she was mm. like, yeah, you're ticking a lot of boxes. Mm. Uh, so I went away, read about it and thought, actually... I probably should get assessed for this. So I got assessed, I don't know, maybe six years ago now, seven years ago. And it was, it's been life-changing really to understand why I behave sometimes in the way that I behave, why I operate in the way that I operate. But also um, I did get medication, which was not the reason that I got diagnosed. I was mm. very much against being medicated, but it's really, really helped. Mm. Mm. And presumably your relationship with sleep that's been challenging more for your parents than it has for you, it seems. Is that what led you to get involved in a charity for sleep and the sleep charity itself? No. So it was karma because I had a child who didn't sleep. <laughs> oh, okay, yeah. so it all came back to you then. Yeah, much to my mum's delight. Um, <laughs> I so... bet she was sniggering, wasn't she? <laughs> yeah. So in 2000, I had my first child and he just never slept. Mm. And you know, it was really tough because I was a teacher. I was working full time mm. and I expected him not to sleep, you know, in the first couple of years. I knew it was going to be hard, but this went on for six very long years and I couldn't get any support around it. So I'd gone to the health visitor who gave me a book on controlled crying, which didn't sit comfortably with me at all. Um, I tried it for one night, one night only. It didn't work and there was nothing controlled about it. It was horrific. Um, I went to the GP for help. He told me children don't sleep and he prescribed me antidepressants. Um, and it's it's a depressing story, but I ended up in hospital because my immune system basically attacked my brain and I was unable to walk. They think oh I got goodness. something called Guillain-Barre syndrome. Mm. And reflecting back now, I think that was because I was so utterly exhausted that I'd ended up in that situation. So I started to research sleep to look at things that could help us. And basically, 
I came to the thinking that it's behavioural, a lot of it. I was working in schools with children with complex behavioural needs. I could apply the same kind of strategies to my son's sleep. And two weeks in of trying to program, he slept through the night. And it was just incredible. Mm. And I started to talk about it. And then people started to say, oh, my child doesn't sleep. Can you just help? So I did a lot of that for a few years. And then one day I had the crazy idea of I will set up a charity and it'll help people. And I didn't know what that involved or how to do it. Thank goodness, because I probably wouldn't have carried on if I'd have realized how difficult it would Mm. be. But that's where it came from. And that's where my passion comes from. Um, I know how hard it is if you're not sleeping. I know how hard it is to get the support, the information. And I wanted the charity to be able to provide that for people across the country. Mm. And it's difficult, isn't it? Because there's a lot, there is a lot of stuff online, isn't there? There's so much information out there. But they're all the usual comments of, well, you should be getting this amount of sleep per night. You should be doing this. You but the real world isn't like that, is it? And there's so many other things that affect our day-to-day schedules and routines and you can't with the best will in the world you can't go to bed at the same time every night you can't get x amount of hours of exercise you can't the reality is very different isn't it and and it's i guess it's massaging that information and and making it fit other people's lives isn't it that must be the difficulty around it yeah sleep's such an individual thing um really we should be educated about sleep in school i mean when i think about my school days which weren't good (laughs) uh I spent hours weeping over things like algebra that I've never had to use. If somebody had taught me the basics about sleep science, Mm. then that would have helped with my own sleep, my own well-being. It would have helped me support my children to have a good night's sleep. You know, what valuable lessons there would have been for me. Mm. Um, So there's so much misinformation out there. Sleep's not regulated. Mm. Anybody can say they're a sleep practitioner, expert, whatever you want to call it. And people do. Um, because if we are sleep deprived, we can be vulnerable and then just pick up information left, right and center, try and throw things together to help us to sleep better. But what we need to do is take a step back and try to understand what might be causing Mm. it and what strategies we can put in place that are doable with our lives. You know, it's no good putting these complex routines in place if we can't maintain them because then we just feel like failures all over And that makes the situation a million times worse, doesn't it? Yeah. You mentioned you're a teacher. How Do you feel that society at large supports people going through that journey, be it poor sleep uh, or sleep deprivation or ADHD diagnosis? Do you think society supports that or do you think it goes, jars with that in some way? Yeah, massively jars with it. So when it comes to sleep, I mean, when I was going through my sleep issues with my son, I couldn't phone the school up and say, I'm not coming in today because I'm tired. Mm. You know, it's and you got, couldn't in most cases, could you? No, it's got connotations around laziness. We've got this culture of sleeps for the week. You know, it's not mm. valuable. Um, it's not really there on the public health agenda, despite the fact that we know that if we get sleep right, it can prevent a lot of other issues. Um, so sleep needs a lot of work in order to sort of bring it up to the same acceptance of things like exercise and diet. You know, mm. it's essential. ADHD, um, I didn't used to share that I was diagnosed because the stigma attached around it. You kind of think about boys who can't behave well, Mm. people who can't concentrate. And actually, I see ADHD as my superpower. It's the reason that I've set the charity up. It's the thing that drives me forward with all the energy, with all the creative ideas. Um, 
I think outside the box. I don't even have a box, you know. <laughs> that's how my brain works. But within society, that's not particularly celebrated. So in school, I didn't achieve as well as I should have done because it was about keeping me seated in a classroom. I mean, remembering facts that <sighs> really disinterested me. And I did mm. okay. I went to university, but I did okay. That was it. So no, there needs to be a lot of change. Um, and people's are individuals and that needs to be celebrated mm. and accepted much more. And is, is that one of the driving forces behind why we're here today? To, you know, to, to try and spread the word about the importance of sleep and the acceptance of ADHD across, across society? Yeah, this is a really important project for me personally because it marries up the two things that I'm interested in and passionate about um, and want to sort of vocalise about nationally. And I know that a lot of people have got ADHD and have also got sleep issues and they're looking for answers. And we may not be able to provide a, a full solution, but hopefully there'll be tools that they can pick up from the podcasts, from the information we produce that can help to improve the way that they do sleep. And also we've developed a Facebook group and I think there's a lot to be said for peer support. So knowing that you're not on your own, it's not just you that's going through this and chatting to other people who have got ADHD with that acceptance um, that you don't have to maintain the relationship like you do friendships, you can bob in, bob out, mm. ask questions. That's okay. We all understand because we all are operating pretty much on that same sort mm. of level. And it's, it's interesting just pick up on the on the, the, the on sort of social media groups that you're setting up. And, and that's actually quite a benefit that, that perhaps 20 years ago, that sort of thing didn't exist, did it? And, and if you're a parent with a child who's up at night, actually you feel like you're the only person in the entire world who's awake, don't you, at that time? But with social media, of course, you can connect with other people who are struggling and in exactly the same place where ordinarily you just wouldn't have that sort of uh, support available. Yeah, I remember when uh, I was struggling with my eldest, it felt like the loneliest place in the world. And I, mm. I did used to look out the window and nobody else's lights were on. Mm. Um, there wasn't that access like you've got now on the phone. So it did feel really lonely, really isolating. And whenever I spoke about sleep as well, I would have people say, oh, well, my son sleeps 15 hours a night. And it just felt really shameful to be a parent and not to be able to get my child to sleep. Mm. There seemed to be a lot of judgment around that because people weren't honestly sharing that they've got these difficulties. And I think it's important that we do share because it is tough. Mm. If you've got your own sleep problems, it's tough, it's lonely, it's isolating. And if you're a parent, it can be tough because... When you're on the outside looking in, everybody else seems to have these perfect lives going on mm. and that's not actually reality. No, no so difficult. And do, it's interesting because both ADHD and sleep seem to have almost a stigma attached to them, don't they? And it's not something people talk about much. Do you find that the health system supports people needing help? I mean, you've also gone through both sleep issues uh, and ADHD diagnosis. Do you, have you found that the, sort of the, the medical support, the medication, the availability of medication, has that helped? Have you found that easily accessible or has that been quite a challenge for you? It's been hugely challenging um, from both perspectives. So from the sleep perspective, there seemed to be nobody that could help around my son's sleep. Um, and I'm really respectful of the NHS. You know, they do an amazing work, but they are just overloaded. Mm. Um, you know, they're, they're at full capacity. The resources are just so stretched anyway. And there isn't 
this understanding yet that if we can improve sleep, we can actually prevent some of the other issues that they are treating from occurring. Um, I'm thinking of cases where we've had children who've not been growing um, and we've got sleep sorted and they've grown. Mm. We've had cases of parents with chronic migraines, headaches, all sorts of things that were being investigated, taking up NHS time, actually improve the sleep and the well-being improves as does the mental health. So there needs to be a lot more training put into the healthcare service around this, a lot more funding, resources. um, And this is something that we campaign around uh, the sleep charity. And with the ADHD side of things, I found it a battle to get a diagnosis. So I had to go privately. um, And then I had a battle to get my prescription on the NHS. I had to be reassessed. That took a period of time. Um, And at the moment, it's difficult to get hold of the medication as well, which is just like an added Mm. stress. So it has been difficult. It's been quite a struggle, hasn't it? Yeah. So presumably you and and other people with ADHD diagnoses have had to deal, come up with their own sort of coping strategies, their own methods for dealing with, 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 with life. What kind of things have you found helpful? Um, so in terms of the sleep stuff, I've sort of accepted this is the amount I need. That's fine. I've accepted that I'm a night owl. Um, so I like to be up late, um, preferably stay in bed in the morning, <laughs> but that's not always possible. Uh, you know, school runs, mm. work, that kind of thing. Um, I've sort of unpicked my sensory needs around sleep. So I need complete darkness. Um, or I can't sleep well. So, for example, in the springtime, I'm a nightmare with sleep because I do have blackout blinds. I have blackout curtains as well. And the slightest bit of light that comes in, it's like, ping, wide awake, four o'clock. And the birds, like (laughs) the birds tweeting, just drive me insane. I saw something about why do birds tweet on the internet and it said because they don't have to go to work. I'm like, yeah, that's, oh, that's exactly it. it. Yeah. And and you find that a struggle, do you, hearing the birds in the morning? Oh, yeah. yeah. I could sense it off you, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. and my neighbour, look, I'm outraged, my neighbour has put a bird <laughs> box on the side of the house. Oh, it's the last yeah. thing you want, isn't it? Yeah, right by my bedroom window. It's like, oh, no, no, no. no. So it's trying to get the environment right, mm. but I can't cope with noise in the environment either. Mm. So I need silence, so I can't mask it out with anything. So I've just accepted now that in springtime, I'm going to be up at like half far. Um, that's just how it is. That's how it is. Yeah. Um, I'll do some work. I'll do the gym. Um, I'll make positive use of that time and I'll be tired earlier. And then when we get the darker mornings, not a problem. Mm. So my sleep patterns kind of change through the year. Um, exercise is another big one for me. Mm. So I do weight training and I find that really grounds me. It makes me feel much calmer and I have to do that in the morning. That's the best time for me to do it because if I do it in the evening time, mm. then I just get hyper and I find it harder to, sort to of wind, wind down, down. and get to sleep again. Yeah, yeah. Um, other strategies, things like leaving my phone downstairs. Mm. You know, I get scrolling at mm. night time and then I end up researching things that I don't need to research. Like the other night, it was, why do men still have nipples? You know, completely <laughs> random things. There's quite there's quite a few different things that you found and, and it's about finding what works for you. Yeah. Isn't it? Yeah. And bedroom environment, big one. Um, not too warm, not too cold. I need to be covered up. 
even if it's boiling hot. So it's it's just being mindful of all those things and accepting that's who I am as a sleeper. Mm. That's what I need. Um, and having sort of lists is good for me by the bed as well. You know, you're a list person, are you? I'm a massive list person. If it's on a list, it gets done. And if you have the whole where in mind business and oh, I've got to remember that in the morning, I know I won't remember. Mm. So I've got pen, pad of paper, just mm. write it down. It's on the list. I can forget about it and that's okay. Mm. And I guess another thing for me as well is because I am on medication, sometimes I get hungry. So it's making sure that I've had like enough to eat in the evenings because I don't eat a great deal in the day. But also if I wake up in the night because I'm hungry, I get up and I get something to eat mm. because I know from past experience, otherwise I will just lie there thinking I'm really, really I'm hungry. hungry. And then you won't be able to sleep. Really, yeah, yeah. So you talked about the, uh, uh, an availability of medication. Mm-hmm. There seems to be a shortage at the moment. Does that concern you at all? I mean, what's the likely impact of that, do you think? Yeah, so at the moment I've been struggling to get my medication. So every month it's been difficult to get Um, it for probably the past three months. Um, And it is a concern, it is a stress. Uh, I've read that this is supposed to be resolved shortly, but it's the not knowing. And it's what happens if I run out of medication, um, um, because quite often I can feel really tired, find it much harder to function, to concentrate. And yeah, that's a massive mm. concern when you're trying to do full-time job. Of course. Be a mum, do all those things as well. And then worry about what happens if the medication doesn't mm. arrive. Mm. Yeah. And does that medication have any side effects? Because a lot of medication does, doesn't it? And I, I don't know much about the medication that's prescribed for, for ADHD, but are there any side effects that you've experienced? Yeah, so I have to make sure that I take my medication at the same time each morning. So that actually... By the time bedtime comes, I am sort of ready to mm. go to sleep. So timing's really key with it. Uh, the other thing is the appetite suppressant, so making sure I've had enough to eat. But one of the things for me is it also affects my circulation. Okay. So I can find that I get very cold in the wintertime, mm. um, really cold feet, really cold hands, and it's just bearing that in mind as well around temperature and making sure that I'm warm enough, you know, mm. going into that, bedtime so having a nice warm bath is one of the things that I do mm. to help me to relax but also to help my hands feet warm up yeah, as well yeah. it's a lot to think about isn't it it's, it's not just a simple solution is it and it's not certainly isn't a one fix for everyone it really is about looking at you and how it affects you and coming up with solutions for those yeah I think quite often what we do is we just look at the strategies mm. so we think oh, I'm not sleeping I'll try chamomile tea I'll try a warm bath I'll try a routine. But actually, it's taking it all the way back and looking at yourself as an individual and firstly thinking how many hours sleep do I roughly need? Mm. And what are those sort of windows of sleep? Where does that fit in? And what am I going to do in the hour before so that I can wind down? You know, what is relaxing for me? Because everyone, again, is is different. Mm. Um it's thinking about darkening the environment to produce the melatonin, the sleep hormone naturally. And thinking about your whole day, really, you know, in terms of exercise, in terms of the meals that you eat, um, in terms of activities that you sort of engage in, so you're not hyper-focusing on bedtime because you can go down that rabbit hole with ADHD Mm. where you can find it really hard to switch off. And that's another myth, you know, 
people with ADHD who can't concentrate. Mm. Well, actually, we can over-focus on things and then forget it's bedtime because mm. we've got really busy doing something like, well, I was decorating, you know, the other week and it was hard to stop because I was really into it, wanted to get things finished. So it's being aware of your own sort of individual needs, your quirks, what you mm. find interesting, what you find helpful to relax and using those bits of the tools to make it as good as it can mm. be. And that's that's one of the purposes of the sleep charity, isn't it? To produce and to develop a tool set that people can explore to try and get help for themselves. So there's there's a number of different facets to the sleep charity, isn't there? There's there's a practitioner's project, isn't there, for the, from the sleep charity? Yeah, so um, I always think of the sleep charity as sort of divided into four different areas. So there's the information giving so there's lots of downloadable information on the website but we've also got sleep clinics in various locations across the country i mean the ideal is that one day we'll have a sleep clinic in every location because mm. everyone should be able to access this um there's the national helpline that we've got so people can give us a call and get a, sort of advice from a sleep practitioner and then we've got the training side of it. So we've just launched the Sleep Well Academy. And there's a whole range of training packages on there. So there's training for young people, um, for school staff, for healthcare professionals, um, for corporates, so that they're looking after the staff's sleep and the staff's well-being. And then we've got research. So we work with a lot of different universities, not just in the UK, but internationally now too, because we still don't know an awful lot about sleep, ironically. There's so much more that we can learn. Mm. And then there's a the campaigning side. So we have launched a couple of manifestos in the House of Commons to try to influence government policy. And that's something that we need to do a lot more work around so that we can really raise awareness about how important sleep is and how important it is that people have got the appropriate tools to have the best night's sleep mm. possible. And I saw, I'm sure I saw one wonderful project that you launched some months back about beds for people to make sure that people had a comfortable bed. I think I can't it was just children particularly, what, what was that about? It looked like an intriguing idea. Yeah, so more and more we've been sort of experiencing that people are suffering what we're calling sleep poverty. Mm. And they don't have a bed to sleep in that's comfortable. Um, you know, we've got people sleeping on floors um, in cold environments. They may not have curtains at the window. And it just didn't sit right with me. Uh, and I thought we really needed to try to do something about this. So... We had a small amount of funding, and it's amazing what you can do with a small amount of funding. It was two and a half thousand pounds to start this project um, that we piloted. And we were able to get donations of mattresses and equipment that topped probably about 60, 70,000 pounds worth of things. Wow. And um, we were able to get warehouse space and take referrals from South Yorkshire, which is the area where the sleep charity is based. And we could deliver like essential products, um, not just to children and families, it was to anybody that needed something that they couldn't afford in order to get a good night's sleep. And people were quite embarrassed about asking for things, you know, they also hadn't realized sometimes how important sleep was. So one mum said that her son had been in a bed that was just basically collapsing every night. Um, she didn't have the funds to be able to buy him a new one. And when he got a new bed, he started sleeping, he started thriving, and he just said he was so comfortable. It was just so nice to have that. Mm. 
Um, so we've got a lot more work to do in that area. There was a debate in Westminster um, and we were included in that last December. So they did reference the project. So at the moment, we are looking for ways that we can develop this and get funding for this so that we can take it out nationally because it is important. Mm, mm. That's a, and sleep poverty is a wonderful phrase, isn't it? Because it really does encapsulate the, the problem. And, th- and there is a, a stigma attached to that as well, isn't there? And it's so difficult. Um, if, if you had, because you're, you're, you're knowledgeable in the world of sleep and knowledgeable in the world of ADHD, if you could share a tip to people about sleep, what would it be? One, If you, there was one thing, one change people can make in their lives, what would you suggest that would be? Forget top tips. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent, I like that. Yeah. That's a good one. Yeah, and think about you as a person. So think about what could be causing this. Mm. Think about your circadian rhythm, think about your bedroom environment, your activities, and only then start to pull out the strategies and be kind to yourself. Mm. And that I think that's, that's a wonderful point, isn't it? Because we are so individual mm. and there is no there is no one fix for everyone, of course, but you're right. And that actually, that's a brilliant tip to recognise the fact that you're unique and that you've got to look at your own circumstances to understand what's going to work for you. So that's brilliant for sleep. What about ADHD? What would be your one one not top tip for ADHD? That's a tricky one. Um, I think it's about looking at the challenges that it brings to you and acknowledging them. But also for me, I find it really helpful to look at the positives it brings in my life. And I know some people who have a diagnosis of ADHD see it as a real negative. And for me, I've kind of flipped that. It was at first. But now it's my superpower. And if I had the choice of having it or not, I'm going to keep it. Mm. Yeah, there's lots of positives about it's it. It's embracing it, isn't it? It is it's embracing it. it. Yeah, yeah. It's taking the positives, mm. definitely. And and one final thought. This is part of a larger program of work, isn't it, around exploring sleep and ADHD. What other aspects are you looking at to, to cover in this uh, this series? So we're trying to cover sort of a whole host of aspects. So we want to look at fitness, exercise, and how that can impact on our sleep. Um, Diet is an important one, and nutrition. Um, Also, sensory needs. So we want to look at how light, dark, how weighted products may be helpful for people who've got ADHD. And strategies, individual strategies. So listening to sort of the thoughts of those who've got lived experience, you know, what works for them. And let's learn from each other as a community um, and throw strategies around so that we can try them if we feel that they may be appropriate for us. It's that peer support we want to bring Mm. together as well, that people aren't on their own. You know, we might not have the magic answer here, but hopefully we've got something that people can take away and what we've got is a supportive community where there's no judgment. Mm. And I think that's that's the wonderful takeaway, isn't it, is that people aren't on their own mm. and it is so difficult if you've got that young child or if you're struggling with insomnia, you think you're the only person in the entire world who's around at that time, everyone else is asleep, everyone else's life is perfect. Actually, other people are there as well with you, aren't they? And it's connecting those people up just to give others that little bit of support to make them realise that they're not on their own. I think the most valuable thing we can do is listen. Mm. Quite often people find the helpline and all we do is listen. But if you've got a sleep problem, you quite often say, I didn't sleep well last night or I've not slept well for years. And people go, have you tried? And people try and solve your problem in a very Mm. well-meaning manner. But actually people just often want to be heard that this is really tough. 
It's really horrific if you're not sleeping. And to be heard and listened to without judgment is incredibly powerful. And only when you've been heard can you start mm. to draw out and you hear for yourself some of the possible reasons why. Mm. So listening is probably the biggest thing that we can do for each other as a community. Mm. Uh, it's been lovely chatting to you, Vicky. I could talk to you for hours about this and thank you for being so open. Thank yeah. you so much for sharing that with you, Vicky, CEO of The Sleep Charity. Thank you very much. I found that really emotional. And to help you reflect on what we've just been talking about, here's an immersive soundscape that's been specially composed for relaxation for those with ADHD. To learn more, go to thesleepcharity.org.uk.